Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm L.A. Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hey, everybody. So new listeners out there, I have a preschooler, Sabrina, and I guess she's a toddler now. That's crazy. A 20-month-old Eliza. Her favorite words are no and Elmo. So yeah, I think she qualifies as a toddler now. You can follow us on social media at Atomic Moms. We're about to do two weeks for spring break where we'll have off the podcast. So follow us there. And we have links to this episode, all you need to know in our show notes. And you can also find our newsletter at AtomicMoms.com. So today we are talking about Operation Varsity Blues. It's bananas. It exploded the internet last week. We are discussing it with returning guest, Dr. Robin Berman. She's the author of Permission to Parent. I kept thinking about Big Little Lies. I love that show so much. And it's about an elite school in Malibu. And Reese Witherspoon stars in it. And she's also a producer of it. And She's also on the main page of Dr. Robin Berman's website because she was such a huge fan of her book, Permission to Parent. So full circle. Anyway, we are going to be talking about how the heck we get to this point in society and what lessons we can learn from this national debacle and how we can use this as a wake-up call within our own families. You know, like, how can I model integrity to my daughters? Dr. Robin Berman has a lot of great examples of this. She is an associate professor of psychiatry at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. She is on the Parents Magazine Advisory Board, and she's a regular contributor to the U.S. News and World Report and also to Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop website. She has a lot of great essays on the Goop website. I really, really enjoy her work on narcissistic parents especially. Uh, Dr. Berman lives in Los Angeles with her husband and her three children. So I'm sure most of you know every single detail of Operation Varsity Blues, but there is a guy named William Singer who allegedly made $25 million getting wealthy kids into college. He was paying off coaches to get the kids in through the athletic side door. He has a guilty plea to racketeering, conspiracy, and money laundering. He got parents to wire hundreds of thousands of dollars to a fake charity account to get them into schools that include Yale, Stanford, UCLA, Georgetown, University of San Diego, Wake Forest, University of Texas, and the University of Southern California. So far, there are 33 indicted parents. And the U.S. attorney for the District of Massachusetts is quoted saying in a news conference, the parents are the prime movers of this fraud. So, you know... (laughs) Seems important to talk about on a parenting podcast. So I will be right back with Dr. Robin Berman to discuss. So Dr. Berman, you've shared with me that this is so insidious and that it starts at preschool. So I can't wait to talk about that, especially since I've just started this journey myself with our daughter in L.A. trying to get into these private schools. But first... When you found out about Operation Varsity Blues, like, 
where were you when you heard about it? And what were your first thoughts? <laughs> I, I was so glued to the story because it's the crescendo of crazy. And it's <laughs> the crescendo of this hyper-parenting culture that is under this delusion that somehow the path of childhood is linear and that you're building a child from the outside in as opposed to from the inside out. And it starts, you know, it's funny, when you said it starts at preschool, I was thinking, my goodness, it almost starts in utero when, you know, parents are trying to sing and talk to their kids to increase their IQ or they sign up for a baby group when they're, you know, when the sperm hits the egg. I mean, it really, and the whole baby Einstein era that, you know, he was sued Mm -hmm. for having that not work at all, you know, staring at videos does not raise kids' IQ. So it was all, the whole race to nowhere has really crescendoed with this scandal because it just shows you how far um, parents have just lost their way, you know, and obviously there's integrity and honesty and, and character thrown in there that these parents were so desperate, you know, they knew they were cheating the system and, and jacking up their kids' SAT scores by 400 points, but getting their, you know, also the meta message of the not believing your kids could do it on their own is pretty profound for, for children. I kind of feel so badly for some of those children who didn't know. You know, just that message that my parents, you know, thought I was so unable to navigate this system on my own. And I think it just starts at the beginning with the the way too serious sports and the people screaming at the sidelines and the parents getting in fights over soccer when they're four and five years old, that somehow they're going to line up a a scholarship to, to Yale, you know, that that kind of craziness ends up, you know, calling a soccer coach at Yale and paying them off. So I think it's, it's just this ego parenting versus soul parenting. And they're so much anxiety for parents. I mean, of course, I'm a psychiatrist. So at the core, parents don't like the words surrender, unknown. Parenting is messy. It's uncertain. It's imperfect. It can be unscheduled. There's a lot of boredom, a lot of mistakes. Somehow all of that kind of the normal foibles of childhood seem seem like a relic of the past. And I just, I think it's such a disservice to kids to try and snowplow the road because the only way you build mental health is through building emotional flexibility and resiliency. And that comes from a very windy road. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, oh, you messed up. How'd that work out for you? You know, how'd it, how'd it go? What would you do differently? How are you going to problem solve now? Versus I'm calling the teacher. I'm getting your grade changed. I'm, I'm having someone take your SATs for you. And then this whole failure to launch, which I get a regular call. My kids at home, they're in my basement. They dropped out of college after one semester or they're out of college and they're in my basement without a job because if you don't teach children how to like struggle and and learn through trial and error learning then how do we assume that once we line up their whole college road that they have any of those skills when they get out so it's 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 really it's a fascinoma to me and this whole 
scandal, I'm hoping is going to shine a giant light on how too far it's, it's all gone and how this isn't the soul of parenting. I mean, you know, this is not the soul compass. You know, I think at your age, the questions I would ask with, with a preschooler and a soon-to-be kindergartner is, you know, who who do I want my child to be? You know, what kind of character? What kind of integrity? What kind, what kind of person versus, you know, <laughs> the ludicrousy, by the way, anyway, thinking that what preschool you go to really matters is insane in and of itself. Like, no one ever says, where'd you go to preschool? And somehow thinking where you go preschool connects to where you go to college. Um, there's just a lot of what we call in my world delusions or fixed false beliefs about this linear path. And, and most of life is, is navigating the edge. But if parents don't let their kids navigate the edge, they just create such fragility. And there is so much fragility out there. You know, if kids get the wrong ice cream they cry or the wrong popsicle and the parents are rushing in to trade it. And I'm, I'm big. I have to say, if I could have learned anything since I've talked to you the last time, um, you know, as I'm a constant learner as a doctor is distress tolerance. If I could give new parents any word, allow them to sit in discomfort and distress without fixing, let them and, and see what they're made of. Because if you don't, have practice in that. It's like, you know, having, having a tree with all these green leaves and no roots. The first, the first bit of wind is going to topple over. We're like building, we're like planting beautiful flowers on the top and there's nothing in the soil and they topple over. So all of the things I think, you know, I just think there was so much parental anxiety that went into parenting um, and a sense that, you know, professional women became professional moms and so they took to it like professional women do with schedules and planning and, uh, you know, and some sense of, okay, you're supposed to do this then and walk and crawl. And there was somehow a right answer to parenting. And let me just tell you, as a psychiatrist and a mother of three and someone who wrote permission to parent, there is no right answer. And what works for one kid doesn't work for the other kid. So I, I really think if I could sum up what I've learned since I talked to you last, it's oversimplifying difficult problems for kids and not allowing them to sit in discomfort. They're, so, they're just allowing them. The picture you had on your website, which I loved with your two kids just playing, um, you know, in that house on the floor, it just kind of warms my heart. Yesterday, this is a true story. I was at the car. My son volunteered at a camp for spina bifida kids. And I was, you know, the multitasking mom. I ran after that to go to the grocery store and the car wash. And sitting in the car wash, I was mesmerized by two kids. One was actually reading a book. She was about four, five or six. And the other kid was about four or five. And he was playing with, a, you know, an airplane. And I left my groceries at the car wash <laughs> because I was so fascinated. And I went up to the mother. I said, this is so refreshing. This feels like a dinosaur. To see kids play feels like something you don't see anymore. And I think it's all linked to the crazy. I really, I think we've gone a little bit mad. We've gotten too much into performance and perfection and resume building and so far away from soul building, you know, and, and connection and love. 
I mean, that, that, well, at the end of the day, you know, that's what you leave. You leave a legacy of love. You leave a legacy of mentorship and kindness. You know, better to be good at life than good at school. Those four years, you're going to sacrifice your child's entire childhood. And let's say it works. Let's say you start with, you know, fencing and all the techniques to get your kids and then all the private tutors in elementary school and the private coaches and you, you get your kid into Yale. Then what? You know, that, that that's just the beginning, right? That That's that, you know, and trust me, I've had so many kids drop out of Ivy League schools after a semester of being by themselves. It's that whole, you know, failure to launch or mm-hmm. how to raise an adult. You know, it, it starts by letting little kids, you know, fail. What is the underlying fear and anxiety of these parents? Because I don't quite understand when the people that are accused of doing this, um, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their children into, let's say, University of Southern California, like a a degree at a top university is not going to move the needle for them financially. So what is the pressure on their end? Because I, I agree with you, it is from anxiety and fear. You know, I think there's an entitlement piece, too. I think it comes with wealth and privilege. And, you know, I think that there's also that piece that, you know, we, we've been able to give our kid everything. Why can't we not just control this last thing for them? Um, but again, I think the message of, you know, the more parents hyperfunction, the lower the self-efficacy and self-esteem of a child and the less self-agency. So, you know, the toddler's universal cry, I do it myself. I'm always fascinated by kids, you know, in LA at private schools who can only survive in private schools by having a tutor in every subject. Mm. The meta message on that is, is you know, first of all, you're at the wrong school. Right. If you need to get seven tutors to, to survive elementary school, go to a school that's a better fit for your child. So right? why don't they, Dr. Berman? Is it because those schools don't exist? Is there a gap happening where – because I could understand a parent thinking, look, if I – just do all this legwork myself, then my kid who is sort of on the border, like at least he'll be in a good school where he won't get completely lost in the shuffle. Or do people just, is it the entitlement and the just like wanting the quote unquote best for them? I think it's, I think it's that whole, you know, giving them such a leg up. But I think that's where this giant misunderstanding comes from. Mm-hmm. A leg up is teaching your children to be good human beings. Mm-hmm. A leg up is teaching cooperation over competition. A leg up is teaching le- love over hate. And I think it's been so misconstrued of what a leg up is. So, so okay, these kids got a leg up, and now they're all going to be pulled out of those schools, most yeah. likely. You know, some of them are going to get, you know, potentially their parents are going to jail. You know, it's like, you know, Bernie Madoff, you know, made all that money and had a leg up and, you know, ended up in jail. It's, it's to to it's so misguided and i think it has to do with parents fear that the world has gotten so much more competitive it is, i was reading statistics it is twice as hard to get your kid into college as it was in the 1970s there's there's no question that that the the reality of that has has increased 
but but letting the the sort of benign neglect of the 70s parenting versus this crescendo of helicopter parenting you know permission to parents is all about the middle what is a graceful middle and i think what this generation needs to back to to add back in is who at the core is my child? How do I study her with my heart, not with my head? Does it really matter at the end of the day if I don't? The problem is it all fuels itself. So if you don't get your kid the soccer coach or you don't sign them up for soccer at four, by the time they want to play at eight, these kids have already had four years experience. That's just the reality of the craziness. And so you kind of have to be a little bit of a pioneer and jump ship. And ironically, all those kids usually who play at those early ages, you know, their statistics by middle age, by middle school, they're they're done, they're burnt out. And the kid that was allowed to just play whatever they wanted to play in multiple sports and didn't hone into one at four, they tend to go the distance. So I think there's so much parental intervention because of so much parental anxiety. And also because because it's just too much in our heads and our egos. And, you know, my mom's turning 80, and I think about what is her legacy, right? At the end of life, it's really about how you mothered and what kind of people you put into the world and what's your connection to them and how that passes through generations. And really where you went to college is kind of low on the list, (laughs) you know, but if you, and I do think the hyper scheduling raw has, has created, it's a perfect storm, too much electronics, too much hyper scheduling, too much parental environment has really been a bust. Kids have forgotten how to play, to be with themselves, to sit with themselves if you can't, if you have no time to sit with yourself, you have no dis- time to discover yourself. You know, daydreaming out a window. You know, the common scene of everyone in a restaurant with everybody on a uh, a gadget, and you know, everyone in a car on a gadget, and nobody connecting. It's all added to the this crazy. We're just seeing a giant epidemic of anxiety and depression in kids. And honestly, when you're seeing kids who are that anxious and depressed, you think, to what end end was this craziness? You know, as we're going to say, the crescendo of crazy today. You know, is it jail? You know, is it kids? So I think it it also erodes kids' sense of self-esteem in a big way. You know, I have to do everything for you because you're so inadequate. There was a great New York Times piece this weekend titled How Parents Are Robbing Their Children of Adulthood, and it was all about uh, the – oh, here, I'll I'll quote it right here. Helicopter parenting, the practice of hovering anxiously near one's children, monitoring their every activity is so 20th century. Some affluent mothers and fathers now are more like snowplows, machines chugging ahead, clearing any obstacle in their child's path to success so they don't have to encounter failure, frustration, or lost opportunities. Um, But on the other hand, there's also – the children whose parents aren't doing that. What do you say to the high school kid this week who's thinking, why bother studying? Like, even if this other child doesn't cheat, their parents are spending thousands of dollars on test preparation. Their prep schools have relationships with these colleges. You know, their mom works with so-and-so on the board. And that makes the whole system feel rigged to them. Like, how do you continue asking your child to work as though 
you know, this education system is a meritocracy. Yeah, you know, I think I think this is going to be interesting to see what happens because of this crescendo of the of the criminal part of this, of you know, the tax fraud part of the money laundering, whatever it is, that you know, a fake charity or operation, what was it called, Varsity Blues or whatever. I think, I think it's going to reflect. I think it's going to start asking this country deep questions about what matters. But I think what it gets down to is people always forget the questions. You know, parents are quick to say, "What grade did you get? How'd you do in that class?" Versus the question, what are you really passionate about you? What class got you juice today? Did you have a new thought? Did you feel really frustrated in the class and then have to grow? So when a child is frustrated, they grow a more integrated brain. They're, they're like, you know, synapses, like connections on a tree branches. They start hooking up when you have to work through challenges. What, what juices you? Where's your, you know, where's your curiosity? Where, those, those questions are so absent. I know when my kids were little, I always started with the social and emotional piece on their report card. You know, were you kind? Were you considerate? You know, how, how are you in terms of compat? All that stuff way before looking at their grades. Cause I just wanted the message to be, this is what in our house, we value this. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's really find something you love and stop being so focused on the outcome and the result and be more focused on the journey. You know, in high school, you're developing, you know, connections and starting to know yourself and what kind of friends do you want to have? It's so much bigger than grades in college. Maybe you're going to make a forever friend. Maybe you're going to learn something from a class that's going to change the course of what you want to do with your life. So I just think we've really lost our footing in in the soul compass. Mm. The soul compass is 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 just missing. And I think if if parents just bring themselves back, what's my north star? What do I really care about? Because if you ask parents who have 50 million tutors and who are swept up in the anxiety and whose parent and kids are on social media all day long, they say they don't feel good about it. No parent says, this feels really right to me. And so it takes a lot of courage to, you know, jump into these really uncomfortable areas. Like, you know, I, if I don't intervene, my kid could get a B or a C in that class instead of an A. Right. And then who knows what they'll learn from that. You know, a lot of people I went to medical school with said, you know, getting one of them said getting into college, they didn't get into the college of their first choice or their second choice. And by the time they got to college, they were Phi Beta Kappa because they were like, I'm never going to let anything get in my way again. But the only reason they had that drive and that passion was because they walked through a little bit of reality. And there's so much snow plowing, helicopter, and reality shielding. And it starts with sleep coaches and bicycle coaches. And I heard there's uh, toilet coaches. and uh, It's a little bit crazy town, right? Because I actually just was talking to a therapist I really respect who's becoming a mother for the first time. And she said, you know, should I hire a night nurse? You know, we're afraid we're going to fumble our way through the first night. I said... That's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to realize there's no answer. And the only way you're going to get to the right answer is by, first of all, there is no right answer. But the only way you're going to get to feeling competent is by fumbling and fumbling and fumbling (sighs) and fumbling. And so letting your kids fumble 
and fall. It is that the stakes are higher. There's no question about it. It was much easier for me to get into college and med school than it was for my 27 year old. There's no question. You know, the competition was stiffer. But but we've we've lost sight of you know we just have to keep going back to who do I ultimately want my kid to be and if I prevent them if I micromanage them and call the teacher and write the note and pretend they're sick you know you you're teaching a lack of integrity and you're teaching cheat the system and you're you know it's like well, I remember one day I gave my kid a day off in elementary school and he in. I wrote to the teacher, I gave my child a day off, and she wrote back, <laughs> is he sick? And I said, no. And she said, you know this is going to be an unexcused absence? I said, yes. <laughs> you know, and I talked about it with my son, and he's like, I'm going to get an unexcused. I said, yes. You know, that we decided to take the day off, and your grandparents are in town, and we're going, you know, to have an adventure, and ultimately we've made that decision, and we have to take the consequences of, of, of the truth. I'm not uh. going to rig this system. For I you, my friend. That. I love that example. Oh, it's those little good. choices along yep. the way, right? Mm-hmm. Integrity, you know, at a restaurant. Oh, my kid is this age to get the cheaper menu. Anything that comes out of your <laughs> mouth, your kids are watching. They're learning. Or I don't want to go to that party. Tell them I have a headache. You know, oh, I just you yeah. have to ditch all of the white lies when you have children and be impeccable with your word and your own integrity and your character. And I think that got lost lost on this Operation Varsity Blues. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, 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 they missed the boat there. And, and the, the stakes got really high in terms of, of what's going to happen. You know, it's kind of a scarlet letter. Let's be right. honest. It's a scarlet letter. Okay, we can all laugh about how seriously parents take getting their kids into preschool, especially in Los Angeles. It's very competitive and it can feel crazy making because they're two, three years old. And at the same time, it does feel like these preschools have relationships that they have built with these K through 12 private schools. And so... What do you say to parents? So but they- I say I say it also depends when the child shows up. They might have a relationship, but let's say you have a really artsy child and the school is um, super math science rigorous, or you know, so maybe it's not the right fit. Right. You know, and and really knowing who your kid is and what the right fit is. Yeah, they have relationships, but still, at the end of the day, a kid shows up for the interview and. It also might not be. There's so many unknowns. I had a book, uh, a friend who worked at the New York Times who wrote a book on college uh, admissions. Mm-hmm. And it was so much randomness. You know, they wanted a kid from Arkansas who rode horses. You know, there were all, a lot of kids with straight A's. So, so then what, right? right? Were you differentiate? So I think when you apply to preschool, the answer isn't what's the feeder to the next feeder. It's what is going to create a childhood or we're still going to have time to enjoy our children. To what end, if I'm going to have my kids doing three hours of homework in elementary school, what am I sacrificing in the process, Mm. right? And is there any gas in the tank left? Like, I think if I were going to some of these rigorous elementary schools, I'm not sure I would have had gas in the tank to go to med school. You know, Mm -hmm. at some point you have to 
you know, realize, you know, and, and, and kids are doing, you know, in middle school, three and four hours of homework. I was just at a dinner last night and someone said they were doing three hours of homework. That, that's, a, that's a lot, of, you know, that's a lot of, so you have to step back and say, yes, it does help. And, and it is part of the road, but it's also at any turn, a lot of these kids drop out. They're the wrong schools. There's open. It's much more fluid and not linear. It's much curvier than it seems at your stage, LA, actually, because at the beginning, it seems like it lines up in that way that this one feeds to this one. And then you'll see when you go all the way through to the acceptance to the middle school and high school, it doesn't quite line up. And I think over time, you start to realize you know, enjoy back to the soul compass, back to the heart, you know, and the luck of of a school is about finding the right kids with shared values and kids you want your kids to be friends with. And all of those things seem to matter. You know, my, my son, when I was driving him back from this camp with Spina Bifidus, was, was with his two friends from preschool. Aww. He was just lucky. He meant two, you know, here are these six-foot tall guys in the back seat. <laughs> and, and they were friends in, in toddler program. Oh, and they so just happened to find each other in the sandbox. So there's a lot of luck in it, too. and a lot. And, but to me, that's far more important than getting into the most rigorous school your kid could get into. Because it's just we're under the delusion that we can line it up we can snowplow the path and that parenting is linear and frustration and distress and living with discomfort and watching your child be bored and suffer through it and watching your child be frustrated and suffer through it is is what creates you know you know boys to men or girls to women. That's the very stuff that makes us feel whole and emotionally resilient. So I, I, I feel like we've lost our way, but that this is going to reflect for the whole, you know, United States that the crescendo is crazy. You know, we really, we've, we've hit the top here. We, we've, we've, we've hit it. <laughs> we've, we've hit our breaking point. We've uh, hit our breaking point. Yeah. We have hit our breaking point. Oh, no, to, be, to be authentic, if I could give you advice, mm-hmm. Ellie, who's such a soulful and amazing mom, stay with that. Stay with that. And when you know in your heart, it doesn't seem right that, you know, your kid is running from here to here or parents are on the sidelines screaming, you know, at soccer. And it just doesn't feel, you know, go to the park and swing on the swing or walk on the mm-hmm. beach. And you always feel like you, you recollected yourself and your child in the process. I mean, I, I look back and obviously, you know, I have older children and I really miss those days of sitting on the beach and collecting shells or staring at a ladybug. And I don't remember like the my gym classes and all that stuff I was running around to. I remember the moments of just oneness and connection where I saw their little soul and fell in love with them all over again in that moment. And when I look at their tall, big, grown people, I can still see their little baby face in there and remember those moments of oneness. And I just, none of this stuff really, really lines up to get you anywhere, except maybe prison. (laughs) 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 Maybe psych wards and prisons, and I would probably not be, I would would run from that path. (laughs) 
Dr. Berman, thank you so much. In closing, I want to share a quote from your book, Permission to Parent, and it comes from your shrink notes. On uh, This one's on page 209, and it's, they don't need fancy or expensive. They just need your love and time. So thank you for giving us your time, Dr. Berman. Where can our listeners find you? <laughs> Um, they can find me on my website. I think it's Permission to Parent, um, which is also my book, Permission to Parent. And it has been an honor to talk to you. You are a magnificent mother, a conscious, mindful mother. Keep that soul compass going. Stay away from crazy. <laughs> Stay off crazy train. Stay off the crazy train. So, Will do. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, we're going to be off the next two weeks. Please listen to our most recent episodes that you haven't had a chance to catch up on. Also follow us on social media. And yeah, I don't know. Enjoy spring. I hope it's thawing out for you guys, uh, says the smug girl sitting in her podcast studio in Los Angeles. <laughs> Until next week, trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. Rock on. Atomic Moms. Mm-hmm.